Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets. What's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. Now, before we start today's show, I just want to remind listeners of this new button that we have on the website where you can subscribe to the show by email. So every time I upload a new show, you get an email delivered to your inbox and that is the only email you will have delivered. You won't get spam or anything like that, but it's a good way of staying in touch with the show, which isn't uploaded on a regular basis, as you know. Now, in last week's programme, I spoke to Larry Pesavento, who looks to the stars uh, to get his trading strategies. This week, I'm talking to a man who is very much in the material world. He writes what, in my view, is the best blog out there. He's an old favourite of the show. He is Mike Mishedlock. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Always a pleasure to be on the show, Dominic. Good stuff. Now, I wanted to talk to you today about where you see markets at the moment. What, what do you think is, well, where are we headed next? Well, first off, I don't think this recovery is real. I, I think any time you've, uh, what we've had is trillions of dollars worth of uh, ballooning of the balance sheet of the Fed. Uh, we've got a situation where literally 90% of all mortgages in the United States are either Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or, or Jenny May, that's the FHA, the Federal Housing Administration. So otherwise, there are no mortgages granted. The only way they can sell homes, everyone was cheering. The markets were up today. We had um, good news on uh, uh, home sales, up a huge percent in percentage terms. But actually, if you look on an absolute volume basis, it's barely a blip and a drop of a barely a drop in the ocean in terms of, of what needs to happen for us to get back to what one would think would be a normal reco- recovery so there's a lot of talk out there about a v-shaped recovery i don't see it i don't believe it uh, we've had a fairly substantial decline here now in the markets what uh, um, i'm looking at a couple of scenarios here now where um, we're in a an Elliott wave terms, we might be in a one two one two corrective pattern, or um, some sort of ABC pattern here. And my my bullish scenario is that we correct back up a little bit and then um, drop back down to nine hundred or a thousand, something like that on the S and P. My bearish scenario says that at the end of this rally, we're going to go on and make substantially new lows. Neither of those scenarios, I don't think, are are, uh, certainly what the pension funds, what the economic pundits, what everyone else is, that just thinks we're off and running. We've had a recovery in the financial markets, no recovery in the real markets, in the real world, and I think unless we have that, unless we see banks start lending, unless we see businesses wanting to borrow to expand, not just to replenish inventories, there's not going to be uh, uh, further significant advances in the stock market. In your experience, how long can a disconnect between 
the real world and the financial markets. How long can a disconnect like that last? Oh, my gosh. I mean, look what happened in um, uh, 2006 and 2007. The yield curve inverted, giving a big warning in 2006. And I was talking about at the time predicting a recession. And, you know, here we was late 2007 when when people were mocking me because the uh, S&P 500 went on and made a new high. Right on the very day that it peaked in late October 2007, I got an email from someone. I don't remember the person's name, but he said, Mish, we're all having turkey for Thanksgiving, and you are the turkey. That marked the exact <laughs> top of, of uh, the S&P. It was, uh, uh, and then after we get a little bit of a, connect, uh, a correction, then there was a rally, a little bit of a rally uh, later in the year, and one early in the spring. I got more taunts. You know, see, you know, you know. Okay, Mish, that was it. You had your fun. No, the real fun came came later, and I think we're experiencing, going to experience that same thing again. Uh, uh, Dominic, it's important to have your mind open, though. The, uh, there's a chance that we kind of morph into this um, sideways without going anywhere kind of market for the next five years. Now, bear in mind that will be uh, excruciating even at that to pension plans that, are, that figure they need 8.5% a year to break even. Uh, in terms of uh, what their uh, pension plan assumptions are. But uh, I think, again, that that's kind of a best-case scenario that we're going to see. I think it's more likely that we're going to go down there and, and test those March of uh, 2009 lows, and it might not even hold. We'll see. You, you need to evaluate these things. As you get to those targets, see whether or not there's any bullish uh, divergences picking up, seeing whether the volume pickups, uh, uh, seeing if they've managed to fix any bit of the real-world economy somehow. I don't see that happening, but that doesn't mean it can't. And, and it's, it's always important to understand the other side of the coin, and I'm saying, look for it, just don't expect it. One thing that concerns me at the moment, Mish, is, is this action over the last month where you're seeing, you know, you might have two or three down days, 200 points maybe on the Dow, yeah. 15, 20 points on the S&P. And then the next day, the Dow or the S&P will be up 2% or 3% like it is today. That kind of volatility isn't the action of a bull market. No, it's not. That is exactly correct. That is, that is um, uh, what happened in the late 1920s. That's what happened um, in August, giving a huge warning signal in August of, of 2007. We saw this kind of action. And also in August 2008. Oh, absolutely. By then it was, it was you know, almost too late. You know, then it, well, it wasn't too late to get out. There was substantial more decline to come. But 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 then you were in the midst of it, and the big rallies we had done was was when the government intervened, uh, as as if that was going to do anything. The government came in and and um, uh, restricted short selling in Fannie Mae. Fannie Mae shot up from seven dollars to 
15 or 16 bucks in like three days. And a month and a half later, it was down to 77 cents. So, you know, all this government intervention talk, and we hear it in gold as well. Maybe we can talk about that. The government can't influence. The market is bigger than the government here. And we've seen it in Europe where the Swiss Central Bank is actually intervening to hold down the Swiss franc versus the euro. They're very concerned about it. I'm waiting to, to see whether or not the dimwits in, in, in Europe uh, the, at the ECB try and prop up the, uh, the euro. And what's interesting about all of this is, is when we were at, uh, when the U.S., when the euro was at 125 on the way up to 160, Trichet and um, the whole gamut of of uh, European leaders were all clamoring, you know, about how unfair, you know, it, it was. They didn't want a strong euro. They didn't want it to go up. Now it's back to the level they first started bitching about it, and they're not happy. <laughs> so uh, there's all of these global imbalances, which is just another thing. Remember the talk? This was funny, because uh, uh, heading back in uh, 2007, there was all this talk, oh, well, it's just the United States in trouble. You know, Asia was going to disconnect, and Europe was going to disconnect, and everyone was going to disconnect, and it was just, you know, the U.S. China was going to disconnect. That was the big theory at the time, that, that China would disconnect. What's funny is now the talk is like 180 degrees reversed. Now, now it's uh, uh, the U.S. is safe, and it's, it's going to disconnect and, and just ignore everything that's happening in Europe. And, and, oh, don't worry about a slowdown in China. Don't worry about the property bubbles in Canada. Don't worry about the property bubble in Australia, Hong Kong, and everywhere else. Oh, uh, now it's the United States going to disconnect. It, it is so funny to hear all of this stuff as if we're not all interrelated down it. So, you know, I don't believe these forward earnings estimates. Uh, the I think they're in fantasy land. I think it's just a result of government bailing out as much as they could, and we'll see what happens when some of the stimulus starts to be withdrawn. How are you positioned in your fund? Uh, the simplest thing is, is to say that, that we've been fully hedged. Um, our absolute return strategy, which is really the one that I want to talk about here the most, is um, actually it's in the green on the year, not by a lot, 3 or 4% or something, and uh, we have a basket of stocks long, and we've also been long the U.S. dollar index. We were long the U.S. dollar index, and people thought I was nuts when I was talking about this. Well, I started talking about it at 78. I, I, I think our actually entry was, was around 75 or 76, so um, it, it's at 87 now, roughly. So that was, that was a pretty good move, and we've been long gold. That's been pretty good. Uh, we've, we've been um, uh, otherwise we're, we're hedged with, the stuff that we have long is hedged with inverse index on the Russell, the NAS, and the S&P. So we're fully hedged. And uh, if gold outperforms some of our hedges, which it's done, then we're going to have positive gains, and, and that's what we've done. So we're up maybe, this is just a guess off the top of my head, we're up maybe 4% or so on the year. Earlier this year when the markets were, were soaring, um, we were down about a percent 
and the market was up eight or nine, and we said, okay, we're just going to bide our time here because this isn't going to last. And it didn't, and now the question is, how deep is the correction? Uh, and uh, we're going to stay hedged like this uh, until we you know, get some signs that it's, it's reasonably comfortable to hop back in or in the market. And actually, the good scenario, at least for us, because it would be the easiest to trade, is that crash count that we talked about. Um, I'm actually hoping that we go down hard here. We're not betting on going down hard, so if we don't, it won't hurt us. But if we if it does, we will avoid it, and we'll have cash repositioned to um, buy some energy shares, maybe buy some bullard gold, buy uh, some foreign equities if they get beat up too. So um, it, the, the prudent thing is what I'm trying to say is to is to stay on the sidelines, um, minimize your exposure. Um, pick your targets. That's what we've done, um, kind of um, playing on the strength of gold, the U.S. dollar index, and treasuries, and everyone. Once again, is, how many times have we had this discussion, Dominic, where uh, I've told you that I like gold and treasuries, and, and everyone else on the panel thought that it was absolutely nuts. And, and uh, we got it. We were in treasuries all for 2008. We got out of them in 2009. We've been back in them in 2010. If you pick your spots, there's nothing wrong with treasuries there, Dominic. Yeah, and that's the, that's the point about treasuries, if you pick your spots. Um, I have to say, at the moment, I'm not wildly bullish about treasuries um, because they've done this, or they seem to be completing what is potentially a huge head and shoulders pattern. Do you have any thoughts on that? I'm talking about the 30-year um, bond. I don't know. If the markets go down hard here, well, of I course think treasuries are going to have a bit. Now, if they don't, then we'll see. But um, also, I mean, it's important. I mean, treasuries have come a long way, and so has the U.S. dollar index, and the euro has declined a lot. So it, we can expect to see uh, a rebound in all of those. Now, the interesting thing here, though, is, is how well gold has held up in all of this. I mean, the U.S. dollar has been on a phenomenal rally, and and how many times have we discussed this? It's not the U.S. dollar, it's it's um, uh, that's that's driving gold, and we've certainly seen that here now. But rather a a flight to safety away from other things. Gold does well in deflation. I believe in 2009 we were not in deflation. In 2007 and 8 we were. I think we're back into a deflationary environment here now, and uh, we'll see. Maybe gold pulls back a little bit like it did in 2008, but over the long term, the the uh, uh, credit risks, uh, um, uh, sovereign credit risks on currencies uh, are favorable for owning gold. This this is one thing I'm struggling to get my head around at the moment, Mish, is the fact that in, in 2008, you know, gold did sell off. It was touted as this big safe haven, but it did sell off, not by as much as everything else, but nevertheless it did sell off. But that was, if you like, a, a crisis in the private debt market to a certain extent. Yes, This has yes. now morphed into a sovereign debt crisis, and, and yes. so the, the liquidity panic is, 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 is got a slightly different tone to it, and you wonder if gold's going to sell off this time, and at the moment it's, it's just about hanging in above 1,200. 
it's still hanging in there. Um, you know, this is like, you know, one of these things. You know, I, I try not to make predictions. People have these predictions, uh, you know, gold's going to 5000 or 8000 or whatever. It might fall to 800 for all we know, Dominic. But if it does, where's the stock market going to be? Uh, the, the one thing that I'm pretty sure of here is is that the gold to Dow or the gold to S&P ratio, um, the gold to most currency ratio, is um, headed in a positive fashion. It doesn't mean it can't go down. Uh, we can look at it this way. You know, uh, uh, you know, maybe the stock market blasts higher. If it does, well, maybe maybe then that's where you get your three thousand dollar gold. But um, you know, maybe the stock market falls back to uh, uh, S and P six hundred. Maybe gold falls back to eight or nine hundred. The but in relative terms, uh, that's a huge victory for the for the purchasing power of gold. And that's all I'm really willing to say. Without putting a target on gold, I just think it's going to you know outperform other assets in in relative terms. Might it not? It, it might not outperform the dollar, or it might outperform it a lot. It depends on how far this charade of of the, of the U.S. Dever, how long the U.S. can get away with this big massive deficit it's had. Right now, the problems in Europe are greater just because no one saw them coming. Although we talked about this, didn't we? And I said the problems in Europe are a lot bigger than anyone thinks. So I have to be feel pretty good about that call, Dominic. Well, absolutely. Now, Mish, earlier in the interview, you, you talked about governments intervening in, in markets, and then you mentioned gold, and you said we'll talk about that later. I kind of inferred from that that you were suggesting that, that, that governments do get involved in the, in the gold market in some No, kind of I, I don't believe they do. Um, uh, they, they've clearly been involved in the currency markets. I think all this talk... Uh, uh, there was, you know, more talk today about a, you know, scarcity of American Eagle gold coins, whatever. You know, good grief. The, if anything, I, I would think that because the United States government is sitting on a lot of gold, it would want the price to go up. I don't believe that there's big this big conspiracy out there for J.P. Morgan, you know, to manipulate the price of gold. And if they were to manipulate it, who says that they want the price down? We've talked about this a lot of times as well. On a futures trade, for every long, there's a short. And um, I also happen to believe, I could be wrong, but that J.P. Morgan is fully hedged here. That, okay, they're short all of these futures, but what are they long? Well, maybe they're long SLV for silver. Maybe they're long GLD as gold for a hedge. Do, do they care if that's the way it is, you know, which way the market goes? Does that mean they tr don't try and influence? Of course they do. B but does that mean they try and influence it down and steadily and they su succeed at it? I don't believe it. The, the price of gold's risen from 250 to 1200 bucks here. You know, if that's intervention and if that's holding down the price of gold, then, well, then people should be clamoring for more of it if you're a gold bug. So, uh... I, I, <laughs> If they are attempting to manipulate it, I don't think it's been successful. 
And I don't think the manipulation is there at all. I just don't. You know, all these smoking guns, all these people coming out and saying, oh, my God, you know, look at this. Look at the massive amount of, 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 of shorts that, that, that J.P. Morgan has on or whatever. What about the massive position long they're holding as a hedge? No one looks at that. What about the fact that for every uh, uh, future buyer, there's a future seller? What about the fact that that it's the if you want to look at someone who's not hedged, it's the hedge fund managers that are, that have plowed into gold and oil futures all on the long side that someone else has taken the other side of, and those traders are hedged. So. I don't know. Give me a break. Uh, plus, you know, the market's going to go where it wants to go, and uh, that's what we've seen in housing. That's what we saw in the price of share price of Fannie Mae. That's what we see at Citigroup still at four bucks. You know, yeah, they bailed out some of the other financial institutions, but I mean, they they had to do it by giving them what trillions of dollars worth of taxpayer money. That's what it took. You have to be careful what you say because uh, you'll have Gatter on your back and the last people you want to be the victim of a witch hunt to is, is Gatter. Oh, do a search on my blog for GATA. I, uh, uh, I have no use for, for, for the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. No use at all. I think they take every little pissy little thing that anyone says out of context, blow it up into uh, 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 a... a Make a mushroom cloud out of an ant hill. That's what that's what they do, and uh, I think they do a disservice to the gold industry. I think the newsletter writers do the same thing. The gold and silver newsletter writers, they, every time the price goes down, they they blame it on the evil shorts. They blame it on the uh, 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 the, the the manipulators. They blame it on J P Morgan. For Christ's sakes, nothing goes in a straight line. Not the stock market, not gold, not silver, not oil, not anything. And the more it runs in one direction, the more it runs in another, you know, as, as some kind of correction. Yet, you know, all these newsletter writers, every time the price of gold or silver goes up, they say, oh, my God, you know, look at how great I am. I called this. Then, you know, there's some sort of correction, and they say, they, they, you know, they blame it on someone else. Yeah. You know what? Bullshit. <laughs> and I have no use for 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 Gata. None whatsoever. I think they do a disservice to the gold industry. Um, Mish, let me ask you a question. You're you're obviously a, a strong deflationist, but what we've seen over the past year. Um, for a year at least, we've had rampant asset price inflation. Yes. Um, we had rampant. We had rampant inflation by my, even by my definition. The the the. Let's go back to my definition. I have to be fair about this. The my my definition of inflation is um uh, or, or de deflation is a, is a destruction of uh, uh credit and credit mark to market. Inflation is an increase in money supply and credit mark to market. And what we've seen over the last year, no question about it. Is, is the debt on the balance sheets of banks, mark-to-market, soared in value. That's what lifted the stock market. The, the, all these corporations, all these junk bonds were priced for zero. All these assets on the balance sheets of banks were priced at zero. The Fed came in and 
supported these markets, the value of that debt soared. I don't believe it's no longer doing so. We've seen a turn down in, in the credit markets, both in sovereign debt and now in corporates. If that holds, the stock market's not going to hold up either. But it's the turn down in the value of that debt. It's having uh, uh, companies, having people, investors question whether or not they want to invest in this latest junk bond fund or this latest junk bond offering, I meant to say. And we're seeing a lot of offerings being pulled, refused because of no support. And so that's an attitude change that says, you know what, I no longer like this at this price. So uh, uh, meanwhile, bank credit is still declining. That declined throughout this whole process. But the value of the debt that was on the books for the last year rose. By my definition, that overweighed everything else, and that, and, and that put us into an inflationary year. I don't think we're going to see another one like that. I could be wrong, but that's, that's how I see it. So, yes, we had inflation in 2009. We had deflation in 2007 and, and 2008, especially 2008. I think 2010, um, we're going to see a lot of this debt, all kinds of debt, be re-questioned. In what, the housing market and everywhere. What do you make of the uh, falling M3 in the States over the last three months? I have to be fair about M3. He, the, I ignored it on the way up. I don't like M3 as a monetary measure. And uh, I looked at that and I said, you know what? I don't know what M3 is signaling, but guys, this sure isn't hyperinflation. People were looking at this, this was, you know, uh, what, 18% year over year, M3 was soaring. I looked at that and I said, you know what, yeah, uh, uh, some of it was actually a flight to cash that was, that was uh, uh, in terms of money market mutual funds, where corporations were borrowing money and parking it, you know, j just so they would have it. So a flight to cash is hardly a hyperinflationary event, but that was one of the things that was driving M3. So not only do you have to look at these monetary aggregates, you have to look at actually what the makeup of these monetary aggregates are and why people are doing stuff. You know, that, that, that M3, when it was soaring, I actually, I, you know, my God, you know, to me it was screaming exactly the opposite thing that, that all the hyperinflationists were screaming. But you know what? I'm fair about it. I don't think they are. Because now we've got M3, what, running annual uh, minus 6% or something? Do you know the number? I thought it was 5, actually. but Okay, you know. so, um, uh, let's go with that. It's running annual minus 5, and um, maybe they ought to be calling for deflation by their model since they were calling for hyperinflation when it was running at 18. Where are their calls now? They don't, they're ignoring it. At least I'm consistent. I didn't like M3 then. I don't like M3 now, so I'm not saying that M3 is screaming d d deflation because I wasn't screaming M3 was, was screaming uh, uh, inflation at the top. I don't think it's screaming deflation now. So I, I, I think a lot of these other writers aren't fair about their positions. They, they change their definitions and their viewpoints to suit what they think is happening. To me, I didn't like M3 then. I don't like it now. Now, uh, uh, true money supply is, is falling. I, I do kind of watch that. But most people uh, buy into this um, uh, one that includes saving accounts. 
I like uh, TMS that excludes it. It's running about, money supply is running around 4 or 5% plus on that. It's running around 10% if you include savings accounts. Uh, uh, so, you know, that gives a completely different viewpoint, you know, plus 5 or plus 10 versus, versus minus 5 on M3. I, I think TMS is, is, a, is a better aggregate, but it ignores the thing that I think is most important, and that's the price of credit on, on, on the balance sheets of, of books. It's looking at, at money supply as if money supply alone constitutes inflation or deflation. I don't believe it. That's not my, that's not my argument. I think one has to look at credit. Certainly, when we when we look at the action in the stock market, we look at the action in the housing prices, we look at ac uh, 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 action in government bonds. Who's got the better side of this debate? I think I do. <laughs> I I think that 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 uh, happenings in the credit market are uh, more important than than happening actually in the in money supply. Okay, excellent stuff, Mish. I've got one last question for you, and then um, we'll close. And that last question is, why won't the UK housing market collapse? Why won't it? Well, it just it should do, and it just doesn't. Oh, it doesn't. Uh, I don't know. That's been a puzzle for me. Uh, it was certainly a puzzle for the Canadian market to disconnect. I mean, it went on and made a new high. I would have sided with Steve Keen. In fact, I did side with Steve Keen. The difference is I didn't make a bet on it. He did. <laughs> and he had to, uh, what, walk, uh, uh, a hike a mountain in, in Australia, uh, uh, saying, you know, ask me how I was wrong about the Australian housing bubble. The, but I think Steve Keen will be vindicated. I think he's going to be proven correct. I, I think the uh, uh, people that are calling for the Canadian bubble are, are too. The one difference we have, and I don't know whether maybe you can tell me whether they've got that in the U.K. or not, but the one difference they have in, in, in Canada is the government literally owns all the, all the loans. So we didn't have the case in Canada like we did here in the United States. It's not that the loans were any better. It's just the government, the central bank was backstopping them. The, and it, it, unfortunately, it's what, what the USA morphed into, where we, we talked about that at the outset. Uh, uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and the FHA now, uh, you know, 90% of the mortgage market. That's crazy uh, uh, but that's going forward. They, they, the banks still own all this other trash that they're trying to pass off to Fannie and Freddie, and, and, and certainly Bernanke put, uh, you know, a trillion dollars worth of, worth, worth of these mortgages. And, you know, good luck on him, you know, uh, uh, selling this stuff later. So um, there's a lot of pressure building up. And um, it's going to blow. No one is ever able to predict the exact time frame of it, so we can't do it. And uh, we certainly failed, at least I did, on the Canadian market, the Australian market, and uh, uh, housing in Europe. Uh, excuse me, housing, not, certainly not Spain, but housing in the U.K. But those bubbles are going uh, to pop. They're going to pop big. That's going to add more deflationary pressure across the globe. It will slow spending in Europe, slow spending in the UK, slow spending in China, slow spending in Australia and Canada. And no, the U.S. is not going to stand alone leading the beacon on government spending as a way out of, of, of this mess. 
So add it all up. It does not look favorable for stock markets. That's that that's my call here. I think the best we can do here is um, go sideways for a few years, and I don't think that that's that likely of a scenario. Well, Mish, it's always a, a real a pleasure talking to you, and um, I really admire your intellectual vigor and your research and your adherence to facts rather than generalizations. Your blog is, in my view, the best out there. I have a, a get a daily email with about your latest posts of the previous day sent to me. It's um, The website is globaleconomicanalysis.blogspot.com or... To save you time, you can just Google Mish. But Mish, thanks for coming on, and and come on again soon. Uh, my pleasure. Just uh, uh, for pe- readers that want to find me, just type in Mish M I S H. Do a Google search on it. Take you right to my blog. And Dominic, always a pleasure to be on the show. Great stuff, Mike Shedlock or Mike Mish Shedlock. Where'd you get the name Mish? I should ask you. First two characters are my first and last name. Oh, there if, if there's a longer version of that, we'll go in that next time. Okay. Miss Shedlock, thanks very much. Cheerio. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes.